What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, so here we go. Um, what are we doing? Yeah, what I guess we now, about well, now? we're talking about Oppenheimer now, I guess. And then, and then we'll wrap up with Barbie. I guess, yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah, um, Oppenheimer, the most Nolan movie that Nolan has ever made. I think I said Nolan is ever Nolan. I don't know. There wasn't any uh, Michael Caine in it. That is point. true. That's there not... is no Michael Caine. So see, I thought because he was he he was in Tenant. Yeah. yeah. See, I thought that this was the most Wes Anderson movie that Nolan has ever made, <laughs> <laughs> just because of the cast. Just because there, yeah, there's so many people who are just like there for a scene and that's it, and it's like people that you've recognized or have won Oscars. They're yeah. literally there for like two lines. <laughs> yeah, Look at I, you, Casey Affleck. The weirdest, uh, a weird you know example is probably Rami Malek, which like I guess he's in three scenes total, but he only he appears for one a of few them. times. Yeah, and like the yeah. first few times, like he's just acting the hell out of anxiously waiting for Oppenheimer to sell to sign a petition. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. He's just like he's acting the hell out of please sign my clipboard. <laughs> and not even saying anything, just anxiously standing there holding those clipboards, just like the most intense look of anxiety and anticipation on him. And I'm like I mean Do he'd... we really need Rami Malik for that role? Like you could just get any Joker off the street for well, that. Well I I've... But but then you have the part at the end where yeah. Rami Malek is you know is testifying, yes. yeah. testifies like yeah, oh that's why it, it's established that he was present for those events so he knows what was going on basically. But you've literally um, got Casey Affleck who's in two scenes, <laughs> it was, has like a handful of lines and then never appears in the movie again. <laughs> I'm mean, same with Gary Oldman too. Yeah, like, Gary Oldman is yeah uh, is true like a minute yeah. He's in there for one scene. Although it is a, that is a great scene. Yeah, that, yeah, it is. That, that like is it. the kind of scene where it's like if you're going to have a big name actor in a movie for just one scene, that's the kind of scene. Yeah. Plus, he's playing a U.S. president, so you know that's true. Not exactly a small role, right? But still, it's just like there's just so many people where it's like I I've seen this person, or like how like at the beginning when we when we're doing like the cutting back and forth because it's Nolan, so it's got a yeah. play of time. Um, Emily Blunt's just, like, barely visible in the background of, like, the first scene <laughs> where, where Oppenheimer's, um, uh, sitting in front of the, uh, the, the, uh, the kangaroo court. <laughs> it's just, like, the focus isn't even on her and she's just there mm-hmm. in that scene. There's just so many people, so many actors in this movie, and it only cost a hundred million so that's why that's crazy. this is the closest we'll get to like a Nolan Wes Anderson crossover. How much do you think of that went to uh, just RDJ? <laughs> I would imagine a lot of it. Uh, a lot, like I would imagine most of the budget for this actually just went to the talent. I, mean, I think oh, I think a good chunk of it also went to the the explosion. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. There's that. Here's too. a real Rated fun it. fact: Oppenheimer had a lower production budget than Barbie. That doesn't surprise me because Barbie had like a lot of sets and stuff that they had to build for. But that. it didn't have an explosion. Yeah, but that was just one explosion, not a bunch but of. But it had, but it had horses. 
which is the patriarchy. <laughs> We're not talking about Barbie yet. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a good time there, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like he also he also designed an explosion that was supposed to look like a nuclear explosion, but obviously not literally be one for yeah. obvious reasons. And it still only cost actors. Was there radiation? There was no, <laughs> there was no CGI at all in that movie, right? Like, wasn't that all allegedly? Uh, other yeah, than probably like, just like some very like fine like post stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like that always happens with movies at this point. Like other than that, no. Mm. So like, even the, like the dream stuff, like even that was done like by like I don't know. They like did some like, weird stuff like yeah. water. I thought. Although like I don't know like if they took like a bunch of like lights and just like that's how they like flushed out all the like all the color in those like scenes where he's got like where it's supposed to be like the bomb but it's just like people that are there like oh yeah that's a good point yeah that might be it but i don't know what they did with that because we've got the one part in when uh the prosecutor who's definitely not a prosecutor wink um is it is you know yelling at him about like oh you know how would you feel about this huh huh that's right you're a liar where like the light kind of goes like kind of zaps back out and then it's fully saturated again that might have been it but like other than that like the none of the things you'd expect to be cgi are cgi i think it's mm-hmm. the best way to put it and it's incredible how like good it looks like if i had not known that it wasn't cgi i would have thought it was cgi because i'm like how the hell do you even pull this off with entirely in real life with practical effects? Just like um, Mission yeah. Impossible. I mean, ultimately, though, this is <laughs> yeah, I didn't this is that. definitely an actor's movie where yes. the main draw is the performances. And I haven't told you, like, it has Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance since, like, Tropic Thunder. Yeah. So I'm not sure <laughs> if it was autistic <laughs> facial blindness. It was. Or he really was that good at inhabiting the role. But it took me a while to realize that it was Robert Downey. No, actually, me too. I, it took me a solid, like, uh, half... No, not half the movie, but, like... I will say... Okay, so this... It wasn't as, like... It wasn't like the Batman, where, um... That was, uh... Colin Farrell. Yeah, that was Colin penguin. Farrell as the mm-hmm. Penguin, where it's, like, even knowing that that's Colin Farrell, I still can't see Colin Farrell in there, and it's yeah. because the performance is good and the makeup is outstanding in the Batman... Um, but I did think uh, I did think it was Jeremy Irons for a, in the I did trailer too. for a while. Yeah, I he does kind of look like Jeremy Irons. Yeah, because he looked a, a lot older. Yeah, yeah, and skinnier. Yeah, but stop that Marvel uh, regimen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's not going back to play. Well, plus also Iron Man doesn't really need to be like muscular or anything. He just needs to fit in the That's suit. True. I think yeah. he still was. Though. He's still pretty muscular when he played Iron Man. Well, he probably can't be like a fat slob because how's how's he fit in the suit? So it's probably like, well, you gotta be fit, and also like you're flying around and like wearing a metal suit, well, and, like all that stuff that's gonna do your body anyway. So, and you know. and also yeah. like remember at the start of Endgame, he gets like super skinny because he was out in space like starving yeah. himself for a little bit, which. I mean, obviously, that obviously was CGI. They didn't have, yeah. like, he's not Christian Bale. He's not going to get that skinny for a role. Right. But then, in all the scenes in Endgame after that, he's clearly, like, not as buff as he had been in previous movies. Right. Which is probably just how Robert Downey Jr. looks in real life now. Yeah. Because, like, that was his last role as Iron Man. He doesn't need to be fit like, anymore. He's, he's not like when you see, like, former professional athlete man, mm-hmm. like, 
like five years after they retired, where it's just like, whoa, you like ate a no- whole other you. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? It's not, it's not like that. It's not like Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's not like Shaq or like. Oh God! The other day the Bears were on, and like Jim Miller, who was a quarterback, was doing it. And it's like, my God, Jim Miller like looks like he like grew another Jim Miller on his <laughs> stomach. <laughs> it's not like he was like fit and like buff or anything, but like he was a quarterback. He looks more like a lineman now. Yeah. But yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was great in this. I think he was probably the highlight of the movie for me. Um, I told you I drink water fast. The chugging. I was thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably going to be in the background, just like... <laughs> it was loud. You know, alkaline water, I really like drinking this with lemon juice. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're just going to be distracted just by... just going to talk about water. We're yeah, talking we're... about white chicks during Mission Impossible <laughs> and Ron DeSantis. Now we're going to talk about water during... That's Hoffman water. Like, alkaline water. Alkaline water. <laughs> <laughs> and probably Ron DeSantis at some point, too. You think Ron DeSantis drinks alkaline water? I think Ron, I think if the liberals do it, he lights it on fire. <laughs> but then if the liberals don't do it, he'll do it to like in a ridiculous extreme. He'll do it. To, he'll like shower in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do you actually get any benefit from showering in alkaline water? I don't think so. Is there a benefit to drinking alkaline yeah. water? Yeah. I don't think there's any benefit to showering in it because I'm pretty sure you're supposed to ingest the alkaline yeah, yeah. water. But it's probably one of those things where, like, if you go to the store and, like, you have to buy water to shower in because your water is crap, it's probably fine. Like, I don't think there's any harm to showering in alkaline water. Hey, oh, wait, I said it. So, like, three weeks from now, before this episode even is posted, there's going to be some sort of, like, massive report about how showering in alkaline water gives you, like, yeah. cancer AIDS. Yeah, we're going to get cancer <laughs> for this. We're, we're going to go. <laughs> this is going to be the next thing. Like, there's no harm in showering in alkaline water next to alkaline. Jonathan Majors. Yeah, alkaline water can do no wrong. Jonathan Majors can do no wrong. The cap of this bottle is a choking hazard for small children. Can we oh, keep but... this bullshit in, please. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> they, they, do you think Oppenheimer showered in alkaline water? <laughs> you know, the thing we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, I mean, it depends. It, I guess it depends on if the communist did it, then he probably at least discussed it. Yeah. Like, I'm interested in the intellectual debate about alkaline water, but I don't actually drink it. Yeah. <laughs> I just find it an interesting exercise. But this is your water that yeah, we're you drinking. You know, yeah. You don't drink this? No, I do. Oh, I'm no, drinking it right now. He's being Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Like, yeah, I don't necessarily drink Oh, my drink God. It. <laughs> We've lost the plot. <laughs> or something. Oh, we're, we're too deep in. I don't... We were talking about Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And just, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were. So, maybe I'm just, like, an idiot, but I didn't really understand the motivation for his, I guess, I'm villain arc. I mean, learning into his story, in the story, like I do, but in the context of, like, the movie, it just, like, the big reveal that he was the villain all along is, like, those kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't really feel like it was... Oh, history. big reveal. I I mean, it, it was just because Oppenheimer, like, embarrassed him at a debate and politicians are notoriously thin-skinned yeah. yeah 
So that's kind of like the... Especially if they want to, like, try to... Especially someone like him who wants to clearly move up. I mean, I remember that scene. It's just that since that was pretty much just, like, a split-second flashback... Yeah. And not, like, an integral part of, you know, the interpersonal dynamic between these two characters. Well, there's also their disagreements on other things, like the Mm -hmm. H-bomb. And also, like, that was the era of, like, McCarthyism. Well, afterwards. And, I mean, the movie basically says... That, uh, what's his name, Uh, Louis Strauss kind of took advantage of McCarthyism as a way to take Oppenheimer down a peg. Yeah, so like he wasn't the only one that was happening to. That was happening to tons of... Yeah, because he had a grudge grudge against Oppenheimer for embarrassing him, and then it's like McCarthyism happens, and he basically is like, oh, well, Oppenheimer had some past affiliations with communists so this is a chance to take him down right and we've disagreed on stuff so yeah, yeah. you know i can you know take him down and make myself look good mm-hmm. um but then you know as as history has taught us um uh john f kennedy is the true hero of all of our stories <laughs> <laughs> I always, as soon as they said, like, oh, the junior senator from Massachusetts, I'm like, ah, I know yeah, who that is. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a bit of, like, a, I don't know, trying to be clever but not clever thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm <laughs> I don't fine. really. I, don't I, I mean, that, that's just kind of my attitude towards Nolan in general, because I don't know if, like, we haven't really talked about this on the show, but Nolan is one of those directors where I like all his stuff pretty much. I don't think he's as much of a genius as a lot of people make him out to be, but I do think he's a very talented director. And all his movies are at least interesting to watch. And I don't think he's ever really made any bad... Well, Tenant's kind of a slog. Interstellar. I thought you were going to say Dark Knight Rises. Interstellar is great up until the end, which kind of ruins it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It might, uh, my controversial opinion is that The Prestige is a little bit of a slog. Fuck oh, you. Oh, oh, I disagree. Prestige is my favorite movie yeah, by him that's not Batman. I mean, Maybe I know, even better than Batman. I know you like, also don't like Memento. Me? You don't yeah. Memento? No, I just feel Memento's overrated. I think it's a solid movie. I just, when I watched it and I got to the end of it, I'm like, okay, like, that was neat, but... I don't know, maybe, because, like, that came out when I was in college, and, like, all the college film bros were like, oh, my God, this is, like, the most mind-blowing movie you'll ever see in your life, dude. And, again, bear in mind, I went to a film school. So there are a lot of people there who are singing Nolan's praises, and I just saw it, and I'm like, okay. I just feel like Like, it was super creative, the way he did it. I mean, the actual writing part maybe wasn't. But, like, how much of that is just, like, oh, well, you know, you went you went to film school, so all those people are like, well, we have to find, like, the next hot thing. It, and so it's like, no one's yeah. next I, hot thing, so we have to, like, pump that I up. will be perfectly honest. My opinion towards him might be biased just because of how I was introduced to him and being told that he was this next great visionary director and then just not being impressed with the first movie of his that I saw. That's fair. I mean, that's how I feel about Chloe Zhao. That's, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh man, Chloe Zhao does all these great like humanist films, and then I watch Nomadland, and <laughs> I were like, four, don't understand. There were four separate parts where Nomadland could have very easily ended, and then it just kept going, but without the momentum. Yeah. And I just like, okay, this is, I've, I've had enough, and that kind of prepared me for Eternals because it was a very similar way, where it was incredibly plotting and meandering 
going on and on and on, and I'm just like, get to the point already, if there is one. Spoiler alert, there wasn't a point. Well, no, the point was that um, Greg Jr. <laughs> was coming out of the earth because Greg was like, I need a, I need a place to plant Greg Jr. This is stuff that I said. <laughs> and I called him Greg, and I'm sticking with it. I don't remember what the god's name was in Eternals. Um, it was probably Aquaman. Which one? The uh, the <laughs> Superman guy? Or? No, no, that was just Superman. Oh, oh no, That's you're, right, you're talking the about the... The, the Evangelion? Yes. Yeah, yeah, the giant space god thing. I was just oh, saying yeah. a Cruel Angel's thesis at karaoke <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> that is probably the worst thing I will ever do in my life. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Listen, the answer can't be why not. Karaoke's Japanese, right? I had to pay homage to oh the under <laughs> the origins, you know. Uh, so you've, you've done William Hung's version of Shebang. <laughs> I feel like I've offended a lot of people this year with just the stupid things I've said. That's fine. That's what I'm always afraid of. Eh, whatever. See, I'm always afraid I haven't offended people enough. <laughs> I just, I'm just ready for like my. I'm just ready to make my Ron DeSantis movie in the style of Mel Brooks. I'm just so, ready for that. Speaking of offensive, being autistic, am I allowed to call him Ron DeSpectrum? Call who on the spectrum? Ron, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSpectrum. <laughs> oh, Ron. Uh, am I allowed to say that? Um, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I'm sure there is some other, like, neurodivergent person who'd be like, just because you have that disability doesn't mean that you're allowed to speak for all of us. You can't use offensive language I, like that. I mean, I mean, I said Trump has ADHD and I have ADHD, so I guess it's Well, I, That's a little different. I also think it's not that much of a stretch. Well, I mean, I saw yeah. him just, like, like the... I think it was like at the inauguration, like the day after, where he's just like he has to sit still somewhere, and he had like the twitchy leg. Well, it, it, <laughs> and just listen, maybe just he like, just had to go to the bathroom. But like also then like what like like actually like reading his speeches, there's like a weird sort of like I under I don't understand what you're saying, but I understand how you got to all of the mm -hmm. weird tangents you got to. Yeah, no, you yeah. Isn't his style yeah. of speaking also the level of focus that our podcast has? Basically, yes. yeah. Which is why I said Which he's is got why ADHD. We're totally still talking about uh, uh, Oppenheimer and also <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise and white chicks Alpha too. Oppenheimer. <laughs> white chicks too. I get it. We'll we'll get white women to dress and like put them in white face for white chicks too. On top of their already white faces. So yes. We'll, we'll get like Margot Robbie and uh, like who else in Hollywood is like really really white? Scarlett Johansson. She's not white enough. No, but we'll just, we'll just get her anyway. Um, Eva Green. Charlize Theron. Yeah, there you go. Charlize Theron. Oh. Yeah, we'll get like Margot Robbie and Charlize Theron to wear like white face. <laughs> Actually, wouldn't that be offensive with Charlize Theron because she's technically African? That's what makes it even better. Wait a second. <laughs> she was born in Africa, but it's not yeah. like she's No, part, she's not black. She's not black. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that being the thing on Twitter. It's like, they made an African put on white face. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot you're missing there, but yes. <laughs> Now it almost seems like it would be worth it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Look, any movie with Charlize Theron is worth it. 
This is true, yeah. Prometheus. She, she is legitimate. And she was one of the best parts of Prometheus. Monster. She doesn't even wear makeup. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Chief. There isn't that much that I do have to say about Oppenheimer, I guess. Which one of us is Chief? All of you. Uh, we're just chiefs. collectively chief. The music was really good in it too. Really good yeah. music, really like, good performance. Okay, we'll see now. As someone who's part Native American, now it's my turn to be offended. <laughs> Calling me chief. We're all big boss. <laughs> we're all big boss. Yeah. Boss man. Big boss no, was the, the friends that man. we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Oppenheimer. Uh, I, I will say the 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 whole playing with time thing here. Um, didn't it? It wasn't as like, oh my god, what? Why is he playing with time? It felt like a natural way to tell the story. Yeah, it, it was very similar yeah. to uh, the Prestige, yeah. where there's a very there's a logic to how he's playing with time, yeah. where you have like the two men reading each other's novels, and then here it's kind of like as you're cutting between the scenes of the kangaroo court and everything else. It's like, you're getting the backstory of what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, the kangaroo court and also the, uh, the Senate hearing, the Senate hearing. Yeah. Um, and, oh. and also then, you know, the stuff with, um, young Han Solo, who's, whose character name is part, whose character name is just Senate aid. <laughs> <laughs> He's this... easily my favorite character in the whole thing. He just spouted off banger after. Yeah, banger. he did. He so sassy. And it, especially like... his last line. Yeah, when know, he... Maybe it wasn't, maybe they were talking about something more important. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. Maybe they were talking about something, you know, important. And yeah. It wasn't it you. Wasn't you. And, and it's a perfect line to like, just put Robert Downey Jr.'s character in his place. Yeah. Cause this whole thing is he's, He's basically a narcissist who gets offended by, like, the most minor of slights, and he thinks that everything is about him. Yeah. And it turns out that it wasn't about him. Right. Now, granted, in... So, I also, so I saw this movie with, you know, the two of you, and not Mike. Mm -hmm. um, and then I saw this with Monica, and then I saw this with my mom. And my mom is one of those people that's like, she will like a movie, but she will also tell you, like, that's this is not how it happened. Mm -hmm. And we came out of the movie, and she's like, that was great. But, like, there were, like, this is, like, you know, that's not, we don't know what they talked about. <laughs> it's like, I know. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, that, well, that seems And also, like, the thing about, like, um, I, he never, like, tried to actively kill his professor, but that was, pro by my guess, is that was probably just representative of something in the book where he had a thought of killing his professor. Right. And didn't like his professor, and it's like, well, that's the way you could show it, mm -hmm. is by having him poison the apple. But yeah. I guess that wasn't, that was something that... Just cinematically him writing down in his journal, I'm having homicidal thoughts about my professor. Right. Is just not stimulating. It's, yeah, it's not visually interesting. Well, he, apparently he gets stimulated by being reading the Bhagavad Gita. Who doesn't? <laughs> it's so funny and weird. I, I and Hindu nationalists are, like, upset about oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that he was reading the Bhagavad Gita in the middle of a sex scene? Yeah, there's like, like an actual backlash <laughs> from that. <laughs> I The fact that the sex scene has gotten as much attention in the media as it has is just so funny to me because it's such like, like it's the most mild milquetoast sex scene imaginable in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, my brother went. Like, I mean, I told him unless, I unless... the movie, he mentioned that, like, oh, this is going to be like a super long and uncomfortable sex scene. I'm like, it wasn't oh, uncomfortable. It was like, yeah. Well, it's not long. The second one is kind of uncomfortable, but that's also because it's from like Emily Blunt's perspective. And oh yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah. like, there was maybe like ten 
seconds. Like pretty standard fare yeah. for an R-rated movie. Nothing too. Yeah, it's not even like that. Like it, 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 it's more shocking because it's in a Christopher Nolan film. Right. Yeah. But that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's like whatever. Okay, you see Florence Pugh's boobs for like a little bit, and yeah. that's it, and you move on. Like I said, I, I just was kind of amused that because like he. He loses his boner during sex, so she intellectually stimulates him by having him read from the Bhagavad Gita, and that helps him get it up again. And that the thought of that just made me giggle a little bit in the theater. See, I thought, <laughs> it, was, see, I thought it was that they finished, and but she was still raring to go, and so then he got it back up <laughs> okay. a second time. Okay. Damn, the stamina on this guy. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> like, he, like He was like, all right, I finished, and then she's like, read this, and he's like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, you know... Donald so, Sutherland and Don't Look Now right. in terms of like crazy explicit super long mm-hmm. sex scenes. So there was there was this like lore card from Destiny Two, where it was um it was like the day before like this 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 big war and Mara Sav was like at the wish wall and so like she shot some things because that's how you activate the wish wall and then um. Uh, Shax came, who's the, um, this is his real name, and he's, like, the, the crucible head, and she was like, hey, I'm going to war, I want you to read this, and it's the Tempest, and he's like, I know, th- I know this by heart, and lights the Tempest on fire, <laughs> and then proceeds to read the Tempest from memory to her, and the lore card just ends with the helmet stayed on, because he always wears a helmet, implying that they had sex. Sadly, that Bungie didn't have the balls to continue with that, and it was just like, no, they just talked about stuff. It's like, no, I want, I want my badass queen to have a moment of like, I'm going to war. I wanna, I want to fuck this man, <laughs> and I wanted to read the Tempest to me, and he's like, I know it by heart, bitch, and then does, and then they have sex, and he literally keeps the helmet on. So I prefer that version. I just <laughs> am talking about like, sex stuff and books. Okay. So you're Oppenheimer. Shaxes. is. Okay. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. We were talking about yeah, water. I got <laughs> You should probably keep that away in case I drink from it. Damn. Do you want another one? I do. Okay, I'll go get He's just downing them one by one. Man, Robert it's... Downing Jr. the one. No. Hey! Oh, finger guns. For reasons. So, well, Mike's not here. Oh, oh he's, he's back. He's back. It doesn't take me that long to get water. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Were you making it? Putting the alkaline in there individually? <laughs> I thought, you One know, part water, one part alkaline. Here's kind of a stray thought that I had. I thought that the use of the arc words compartmentalized were pretty salient because they seem to describe Oppenheimer's, like, ultimate, like, character flaw and why he just kind of ended up in the situation where he did because he seemed to like compartmentalize everything in his life he you know he compartmentalized his work on the atomic bomb with his personal morals and his whole weird relationship with the communist party where he's just associated with a lot of people who are involved in it but won't commit to any of the advocacy even though on paper he agrees with a lot of what they're working towards you know just i think it also leads to why he just utterly failed to influence post-war nuclear policy because he just compartmentalized everything. Yeah, he wasn't I, ever able to really reconcile all these contradictions and 
lead to a, a strong personal stance. I mean, his whole speech, or rather his meeting with Truman, he just comes across like so indecisive and weak mm-hmm. and just not a convincing speaker. Well, like, and also just, you know, it's clear that he doesn't see things from like the political perspective, yeah. the way that like Truman and like the generals would see it. And I, I mean, I kind of saw it as him being like a, uh, like a so smart, he's kind of stupid sort mm-hmm. of person where it's like, he's obviously really intelligent with science and all that other stuff, but he doesn't quite get human relationships. That sounds a lot like Christopher Nolan. I yeah, think, you said, I think yeah. you said it sounds a lot like you. <laughs> I, I didn't do too well in my science classes. So. Oh, okay. Oh, but yeah, where it's like, <laughs> well, that was a downer. <laughs> like, like when, em, oh, when yeah, Emily please. Blunt, you know, brings up, you know, that it's probably Strauss who's behind everything and who's trying to ruin his reputation. Like he just doesn't get, it. he's like, why would you be upset about that? That was like two years ago. It was like, it was like, it was like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> because like that, that wouldn't bother but, him. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just rewatched hot fuzz last night. The and, it's, good. and it just kind of reminded me like, Oh, maybe they're just killing people over this whole like land grab thing. Like, no, it's more mundane than that. That person had an annoying laugh. That guy was a terrible actor. Yeah. You know, that person was moving away, and we didn't want them to become a gardener, you know, in another town. And and it's like, yeah. that's like, no one would even see that coming, right? Just how mundane of a motive to do something so messed up like that. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of with Oppenheimer. Like, I would not expect, like, some one did public debate five years ago driving someone to destroy my entire professional career but like at the same time who remembers Louis Strauss yeah but who remembers Oppenheimer yeah so in the end he he played the long game Mm -hmm. well he did make a bomb (laughs) but no one cares (laughs) about who built the bomb they only care about who dropped it and that was Harry Truman right but you know like Strauss says at the end, like, oh, you know, they're not going to remember him for Hiroshima or Nagasaki. They're going to remember him now for Trinity. And now he's pissed about that. They're like, he get now he gets to, like, own Trinity. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, he's the he's the guy that made the bomb. He's important. And he is. And I agreed with no and I do agree with Nolan when he said, like, Oppenheimer's the, one of the most important people to ever exist on the face of the earth. Yeah. Like, that's just a fact. Although apparently Truman did, uh, you know, say like, "I don't want that cry, you know, don't let that crybaby in here again." <laughs> yeah, which feels like a Truman thing to say. It does. Yeah, it, it, that goes. That also goes into like Oppenheimer's compartment compartmentalization, where like he's so concerned with building the bomb and you know cracking the physics of it that when it actually finally hits him, like, "Oh, this is going to be used to kill people." It's like yeah. that didn't occur to you before. Well, I think he it was. For the Nazis, he was like okay with it, but then right. To be fair, I'd probably feel a lot less upset about Hiroshima and Nagasaki if it was like Berlin and Hamburg instead. I don't think I'd feel very sorry. Jesus. Well, I mean, realistically, they probably weren't going to bomb Berlin just because, like, like for the same reason why they didn't bomb Tokyo. Like, bombing the capital probably might have been seen as, like, a step too far. They wanted... It was more about making a statement. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, um, from what I've read, they were... When they were still considering using it against Germany, they were thinking about maybe Nuremberg, because that was, you know, a big uh, city that was central to the Nazi movement. Or where they have held the trials. 
Yeah, we're yeah. Right. <laughs> so, well, ahead. The, That's what... the choice to use Nuremberg for the trials was the same yeah. logic in bombing it was because they yeah. wanted to have it in a city that was very closely associated yeah. with the Nazis. And I think they also were considering Munich, but for the same reason why they decided against Kyoto, you know, like there was too much historical value to the city. Yeah. So. Oh, but, also, uh, but apparently that was actually a thing. Where, so the, so uh, when um, the secretary says like, oh, you know, the cultural significance. Also, my wife and I uh, went on our honeymoon there. Mm-hmm. That actually was real. Yeah, the, yeah, that the was. Secretary, nice. that, that secretary and his wife on their honeymoon went to Kyoto, and the actor, um, oh god, whose name I can't remember, but he used to be a big actor, um, did the research on it and said to Nolan, like, "Hey, I found this out." And Nolan was like, "All right, use it." <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, so Nolan didn't even know. Okay, I'm yeah. a little surprised because I've. Like, a lot of people who have studied World War II have known that. that well, I... The reason why they decided not to bomb Kyoto was because the Secretary of State, um... Was he Secretary of State? Secretary of War. Secretary of War. Uh, well, also... Like the city. Wasn't there a lot more history there, too? Also, Christopher yeah. Nolan didn't know who Harry Styles was when he cast him in, uh, <laughs> in, 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 Dunkirk? in Dunkirk. Yeah, in Dunkirk. So... I wish I could be that's fine as it was wasn't out yet all right man (laughs) but still like Harry Styles was the lead singer of One Direction it's not like he was a nobody he was still like (laughs) this would be like casting Justin Timberlake after like NSYNC and being like I don't know who that guy is speaking (laughs) of casting NSYNC they almost appeared as Jedi in Attack of the Clones I'm sorry I made a promise not to talk about Star Wars but that's just such a ridiculous fun fact and you gave me like the end for it I just couldn't I thought they did don't no, they? Okay. They, they didn't. They okay. were supposed to. Because I know that was that. like an urban legend around the time that the movie came out. But... We're going to talk about Star Wars. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but another thing I was going to say earlier is that like uh, a lot of the scientists that were making the bomb were Jewish, and so they hated the Nazis a lot more. Yeah, than and Oppenheimer Japanese. was descended from German Jews. Right. And like a lot of them mm-hmm. were, and they all hated the Nazis. Yeah, that's so, kind of what I was hinting at. Like, there's something sort of like a poet, a nice little like poetic justice of like yeah. Jewish well, scientists. Oh, I thought you were talking about that with the in sync reveal. No. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like, I would. There's some satisfaction that like Jewish scientists like annihilated the Nazis. Would have annihilated the Nazis is what I was kind of. Yeah, and, at. and Hitler hated that idea so much that he was like, "I'll do it myself." <laughs> can't can't let the Jews have this one. <laughs> But, you know, you know, what's interesting is that only, like, about a week after we saw it, I went to a Hiroshima and Nagasaki commemoration, and a couple of things that really stuck out to me was that, one, in 9-11 commemorations, they tend to read out the names of everyone who died. That's not possible, because in, with the nukes, we don't have an exact number, because it depends on how many people died from, like, the long-term... You know, side yeah. effects of radiation. Right. Uh, we don't know the names of everyone who died, and even if we did, it would take too long to read every one of them. You know. Well, that and also like you know, we don't. We also don't know who was in the city at the time or who was like out in the country mm-hmm. visiting family right. or whatever. Well, but uh, a lot of these people who did die were like, not even Japanese. Yeah. They were Chinese and Korean laborers who were brought over from like the Congo territories. And it, 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 whereas like with 9-11, like we know who is in the buildings because yeah. they're on the payroll. They're on the payroll. Plus, yeah. plus 9-11 wasn't against the backdrop of a war. Like right. there were a lot of people who died from bombings in Japan and you might not necessarily know exactly where they were when they died or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, and, and they did bring up in the movie that like more people died from the firebombing of Tokyo than in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I still like, gotta watch Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah, yeah it's a fantastic movie. There's some American POWs that died mm -hmm. in the bombing. I didn't know that until I went to the commemoration. Well, um, and and also think about if they drop if they had been able to drop the bomb on Germany, how many like, well, okay, although they didn't really have they didn't have a lot of con they only had like a few concentration camps in, in Germany because you don't want to do you don't want to have the bad thing that you're doing be in your own backyard. Yeah, yeah it was mostly in Poland. <laughs> but like, there were still some. Like yeah. Bergen Belsen. The, the is ones, in the ones that were in Germany were concentration camps, though they weren't the actual like death camps. Like the yeah. actual death camps, those were all in Poland. But like, but like yeah. that's what I mean. Is like, uh, yeah, don't tell that, Poles that. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's what I mean. Is like that you would have also had like you know, like a good chunk of like, depending on where you dropped the bomb, like they like the Jews that were yeah. there would have died, and any mm -hmm. and like all the other. People like the Jews, the gypsies, those the camps mentally handicapped like, also probably may have died if you dropped it in this certain But spot. even those camps weren't in urban areas. No. Yeah, but you did have a lot of them who were being used as slave labor in factories that were actually in, like, Germany proper. Was it? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's kind of how... Yeah. And um, also you still had some that... Schindler's was able yeah. to rescue so many by just employing yeah, them. Yeah, by just employing them, yeah. yeah. Giving them, like, constant That would have been a from... very different ending if... <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Oh my god. And I mean, also, you still had some that were, you know, hiding out in places around yeah. there mm -hmm. that hadn't been caught yet. Yeah, that's true. Like yeah, the right. little girl from Jojo Rabbit. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that that would have been a totally different ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that we talk about this because I, my only misgiving is that I understand the perspective that the movie is coming from and is focused on the, you know, the scientist who made it. It's mm -hmm. like, I wish we had more of an acknowledgement of the human cost of that bomb. Because, like, you know, over 100,000 people were killed, you know, almost the vast majority well, of them. Eh. But but the whole movie is about him inventing this thing and then wrestling with the moral complications yeah. of it. Yeah, so, like, we, we, do, we do see that. We don't see, like, a number or, like, a person specifically, but, like, we see that with how, with how he makes it and then is, like, and then... It's like, wait, but this thing is going to kill people. Well, I need to tell everyone about this. And, and, and it's also about the implications of just inventing it. Yeah. Because as they say in the movie, more people died from the firebombing of Tokyo than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, the actual death, within the grand scheme of World War Two, the actual death toll from those two bombings was actually pretty small. That's not the big moral issue of the movie, though. The big moral issue is that now that they've invented a bomb, what's going to happen? Like, as he says, you know, the Soviets yeah. could invent a bomb, the Soviets could invent a bigger bomb, so then we need to invent a bomb that's even bigger than that, and just right. everything escalating until you get to the actual annihilation of the human species. Right. And also, there was something really interesting when he's giving, like, the victory speech, and he starts imagining everyone in the mm -hmm. Manhattan Project getting annihilated by a nuclear including bomb. Including Christopher Nolan's daughter. <laughs> who's the one with the skin coming off of her oh, face. Oh, I so, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That is... Okay, I'm sorry. Another Star Wars comparison. That's even worse <laughs> than George Lucas killing off his own son in Revenge of the Sith. So the other day, I was <laughs> on... <laughs> was it? So we the can other, edit those out. The other day, I watched American Graffiti. <laughs> I did see it was in theaters for yeah. like the th Fi uh, 50th, 50th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to... Uh, 
tiny little thought exercise. Um, when Spielberg and Lucas get together and have like drinks, and one of them's like, "Hey, which one of us has the more influential film? Who's right?" Between oh, Spielberg um, and Lucas. When was that? Yeah. No, this is just like a thought exercise that I had. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. all right. right here's now? the thing. Let's decide on who. Is Spielberg. Honestly. What is Spielberg's most influential movie? Would it be Jaws? That's the thing. I don't know. He's a lot if of them. If we're talking about who has more, mm-hmm. it's okay. Spielberg By all far. the way. Spielberg yeah. has more cultural influence. But in terms of shaping Hollywood, I think George does just because of a lot of the filmmaking know. technology. Pixar, well, Industrial Light and Magic, all the sound design stuff like THX sound design. Matt, I, I think for you and me, the, the answer would definitely be Lucas because we've talked about three most influential films in the history of Hollywood. Yep, and one of them is Star and Wars. And one of them is the 1977 Star Wars. So yeah, I think... Even it, just like the cinematography of we're going we're gonna to build the ships mm-hmm. and we're going to move the camera around the ships. Around the ships. As opposed to having it on a wire, which yeah. is how sci-fi films were made prior and, to that and how that revolutionized like the technological mm-hmm. aspect but like because like if the answer is if the question is who has more it's spielberg all the way because yeah like american graffiti definitely like gave you the template for what a coming-of-age story would be like for 50 years mm-hmm. um and star wars you revolutionized everything yeah. Um, but Spielberg also had Jaws, which... Which you could argue laid the groundwork for what Star Wars later right. did in terms of, like, you know, being the first blockbuster. Yeah. But then yeah. also had, like, stuff like E.T. Indiana Jones. In, Indiana, well, well, Indiana Jones, here's the thing. tag team. Yeah. I was going to say, oh, yeah. Spielberg brings up Indiana Jones. Lucas says, well, I also helped with that, so that doesn't count for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But then you have the first Jurassic Park movie, which was right. also revolutionary. Yeah. Schindler's List. Is Schindler's List. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but also, but also even bef- uh, before that, going back to the '80s, we've got Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind. Yeah, that, well, was that was big. '70s. Se- well, late late '70s. Sorry, yeah, '70s. We got Close Encounters, um, and just revolution, like kind of giving a different way of storytelling, um, because all those, unlike Fast and Furious, were actually about family and about him kind of dealing with. <laughs> his upbringing and his parents getting divorced especially E.T. but like you see that also in Close Encounters Mm -hmm. um, and how all of these movies were kind of him like coping with uh, that yeah so then it raises the question what is Nolan's legacy on Hollywood and his cultural influence well he definitely helped uh, with kicking off the grimdark fad of like the mid 2000s like early 2010s like so many attempts to make take various franchises and make them darker more serious specifically cited like batman begins in the dark knight as a reason for that yeah it's very fast like it, it even that, spilled like... over into video games like when uh when they attempt when capcom attempted to reboot devil may cry with a darker more serious western feel they specifically cited the dark Ugh. knight as a reason for that so thank you, Christopher Nolan. You almost ruined one of my favorite video game franchises. It's very fascinating that the Dark Knight kind of gave everyone permission to treat like comic book superheroes with like you know pop culture legitimacy. Yeah, which but, like the Dark Knight, yeah. it's like a prestige drama almost, a thriller, but 
all of like the superhero movies that have followed have just been like a completely different, more like mass produced. Dark Knight Be- functions as like a detective noir, mm-hmm. like an old school, old like an old school like black and white detective noir. Um, like he's he's Sam Spade, um, like that that's that's who he is in this. He's the detective. He's on you know he's he's following all the twists and turns. And you've got your very obvious over the top bad guy, who is there who is like there every step of the way. Um, like it it is a detective noir. It just happens to be that it's a superhero movie. It's yeah. like how Logan is a western that happens to be a superhero movie. Yeah, and the shift towards superhero movies being a lot lighter and more comedic and uh Joss Whedon-y. Like a lot of people would say that was Marvel, but I think specifically Guardians of the Galaxy was the big turning point because before that you had like even the Marvel movies were starting to go in a darker di- direction with like uh, Civil War and stuff. Yeah, and I remember Iron Man being the very first one being pretty serious and violent. Yeah, yeah the first couple Iron Man movies are e- even the third one to a certain extent. Like so they're, they're much more grounded. Avengers, well, see, Avengers was when they started doing like the snappy Joss Whedon dialogue yeah. because Joss Whedon Joss directed Whedon. that. <laughs> but I would say Guardians was the movie where like the whole industry started to shift. Yeah, because you even had that with um, uh, uh, Suicide with Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah, where yeah, Guardians came out and they were like, "Oh, well, we didn't see it, but we saw the trailer for it, so now we need to do that." Yeah, because you <laughs> you look at what DC was doing before that with like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, and they were going hard on grim dark, and those early trailers for Suicide Squad were just in that direction, and then uh, Guardians of the Galaxy comes out and it hits big because Guardians of the Galaxy like. Nobody knew who those characters were. It was literally one of the most obscure Marvel properties that you could make a movie off of. And then it just becomes this massive pop culture phenomenon because of how good the movie was. And, you know, Hollywood's ear is perked up because of it. Yeah. And that, I think, was kind of like the death knell for Grimdark. But going back to Nolan, yeah, I do think that Nolan's big legacy on Hollywood is going to be... Kind of like helping to kickstart the grim dark phenomenon. Again, it wasn't just him because you could argue like that was like the foundation for that had been laid before by like the Lord of the Rings movies being well, much even, darker and serious than what the books were. And even Zack Snyder. And Zack Snyder. With and, his visual style. But Zack Snyder, like he's grim dark, like tonally, but his visual style is still very like over the top. Yeah, but like in I, ways that Nolan is not, where Nolan is much more grounded visually. Yeah. But I mean, like, even with, like, stuff like 300 and uh, the other thing, and, like, uh, 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 um, Dawn of the Dead. Well, three, 300 is grimdark in the way that Warhammer 40K is grimdark, where it's, like, so over the top, it almost becomes, like, a self-parody. Yeah. But, it's or, very campy. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, uh, was it uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead? Yeah, Dawn of the Dead is probably, like, his most uh most grounded and uh it's written by james gunn oh oh hey look at that <laughs> yeah who wrote that <laughs> but yeah like Zack snyder even like had sort of that grim darky um type of yeah. uh feel to um his movies but he had a visual palette that was a little more like um schlocky in a sense like specifically i'm thinking of like 300 yeah with like just the oversaturation of like certain aspects of it um like from a like a color perspective and sh- shadows and shirtless men <laughs> but just like where it's like that 
Um, and other movies like the one that's uh, supposed to be a feminist movie, but it's all the girls that oh, are in the uh, schoolgirl outfits. Sucker Punch. Yeah, which, there we go. which apparently came out 20 years ago. Oh my god! No I way. feel so old. Is it actually? Yeah, it like 2013. Well, it'd be ten years, oh, ago. ten years ago. Yeah, but, yeah. So Sucker Punch came out like ten years ago. You know, there are still some dark, or not dark, uh, some Zack Snyder stands who will insist that that movie is one of his masterpieces. You mean Lonely Men? Who <laughs> <laughs> will say that it's one of his masterpieces? Yeah. You know, there's a pun I could make out of that. But I'm not going to. <laughs> to. Look, I'm engaged. He's married. I can't speak for you two. Let's go for it. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm... All right, everyone listen. No, I'm not. <laughs> you actually <laughs> leaped into the mic there. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> look, you can see the waveform. Is that, is that my voice right there? That's I can see voice. my voice. That's your voice. Oh my God, it's, it's, it's like I'm screaming. It's a sexual pun, and there isn't a sexual bone in my body, so I'm just not going <laughs> to... I'm just not gonna that, I mean, that was kind of. Bone. I was gonna say that was a pun in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a girlfriend. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of sexual bones, let's talk about Oppenheimer because of the sex scene, and then you went there, and I can't save you. <laughs> okay. I can't save you anymore. <laughs> Look. Connor is single and available, and if you will dress up <laughs> as... There's any suitors out there. Yeah, if you will dress up as a Star Wars, as like R2-D2, he will probably talk to you. No, I won't, because I've been carrying a torch for the same person for a very long time, and I'm not going to ever consider anyone else, even though that person very obviously isn't compatible with me. I, All right, person if, out what there. What if that person <laughs> cosplayed as Ahsoka? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had a camera because the look on his face of just like considering it and then just being like horrified. See, but the fact and that confused the fact that you considered it for a second is saying something. I didn't consider it. No, I no, was like disturbed. I meant like consider. I mean, like like he thought uh, like he developed the image in his brain. He saw it and then was like horrified and confused by it, and then just went, "No, it was." Mwah. It's, I'm so glad that we have a camera for this. Um, <laughs> don't forget to follow us on whatever the fuck Elon Musk is calling it this week. Uh, at Gloria Schlock. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> so Oppenheimer is good movie, yes. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not Nolan's best movie by any stretch. What is Nolan's um, best movie? Since ooh, you mentioned that's, that. That's tough, Memento! Though. No, Connor was so sassy there. <laughs> I I would probably say the Prestige. Um, I mean, okay. I guess collectively you could say his Batman trilogy, but if we're talking about individual films, I would probably say the Prestige. I really, really, really like Dunkirk. I was Dunkirk I would, yeah, I was, was really good. Yeah, I would also, also say just, Dunkirk. I also but... like just how effortlessly he just like dismisses Churchill. I really hate Winston Churchill. I think he's a horrible, horrible human being. And the only reason he's remembered fondly by history is that the Nazis were just a little more evil than he was. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, ask like the Greeks. They were pretty balanced until the genocide happened. Him, or, you know, the Indians who were gassed, you know. Oh, come on. Say. The British were gassing the Indians for centuries. <laughs> just, just, just look at, like, the, the Jungle Book. 
God. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to defend what Winston Churchill did in India, but let's be honest. It, that was just like the cherry on top of the Sunday of all the horrible things the British did in India. <laughs> yeah, like, there, that was like their playground. That was like their, their, their bloody playground for centuries. Sun never sets on the British Empire because God's afraid of what they'll do in the dark. Ooh, I do like that. I have heard yeah, that before, yeah. I hadn't. I, I like think, it. Who said that? Was that like a French saying or something? Like, I think that may be like a colonial saying, honestly. Like from like the colonized. Yeah, maybe. I did, I've, I've heard the first part, but I never heard like the, the addendum to that. I no, like I, it. I've heard the addendum before, but I can't remember who said it. So, But right. yeah, like Dunkirk might be, in my opinion, his best. It's very well constructed and... Like just like Oppenheimer, lots of practical effects to the point that they used like real World War II planes that were loaned by historical societies, yeah. and I just like that's just so mind blowing that they still work and yeah. didn't crash. Um, but yeah, like that's yeah, I would say that that might be his Dunkirk best. might be his best movie on like a filmmaking level. I think on a storytelling level, though, I still really really like the Prestige. Well, yeah, I mean Dunkirk is just like. Hey, here's like some story. Here's basically some like stories from like people who mm-hmm. were involved. You know, obviously fictitious people, but like they, yeah, this is like perspectives of people who were involved in um in the evac in the evacuation. Yeah, I was Kirk. pretty I was pretty sassy about Memento, but that one's always kind of like really close to me for personal reasons because I watched it yeah. when my abuela was first diagnosed with dementia. Mm. So just the way that that movie was presented from the perspective of someone who, you know, <clears throat> I don't remember what his exact condition was, but it was, you know, functionally very similar to dementia where you're not able to form short-term memories. So you're just kind of operating in a, in a moment without the prior context and presenting that yeah. in yeah. the best way possible. And, you know, me also just not my brain being wired very differently and perceiving the world in a way where it could be, especially when I was very younger, very easy to be manipulated and taken advantage of by people who didn't have my disability. Like, I just kind of really identified with the main character. I wonder how... And and yet he's still here with me. (laughs) I I wonder how... I mean, you you definitely manipulated me into going to a bachelor's party that my heart was not in, but it was the best thing ever. It was the best thing ever. It worked out. I only had to, like, call you... (laughs) I'd just be like, bro, you're coming, right? You're fucking coming. <laughs> so how many uh, film bros do you think we've offended by not even considering Inception? I was going to mention Inception, but... Inception is a good movie. It is It is very well-crafted, but um, our you know, friend of friend of us, uh, Chris Gaitan, has, has definitely talked about like how there's like that like hour in the middle of just pure exposition, which does sort of detract from it, but, like, it's still a well-crafted film, other than that. It, it is. I, there's another thing that I do like about Oppenheimer that puts it really up in my regard. I think Nolan's weakness is his incapability of understanding human emotion yeah. and human relationships. Yeah. And Oppenheimer's failings in his personal life was almost like a moment of self-awareness of Nolan. Yeah. Like, realizing this is his blind spot. I, I definitely did get the sense that within the movie, Oppenheimer is kind of like Nolan self-insert a little bit. So uh, is this like how Neil Breen uh, made the the superhero movie where it's like he the separated good... his good self and his bad self. <laughs> yeah, or like yeah. that. Like it's like, oh, the self-awareness. <laughs> okay, so now at this point on this show, we have compared Christopher Nolan to both Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> 
while also comparing him to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. like, tangentially, so, like, you know, magic! <laughs> magic of movies. 